Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone, this is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the body love card honoring and the the idea of honoring and what is honoring, especially when you put it together with disordered eating and disordered thinking about your body or disconnect with your body or your food or your family or anything. And so the goddess is on her yoga mat and she's just sort of namaste, you know, that pose where she's got her hands together in prayer And she's bowing to herself, really. And then the deer is also bowing to her and bowing to probably the greater good. So it says in the back, honoring means understanding we are a sacred being and our bodies are sacred. They are not objects to be sculpted and forced to meet cultural ideals. They are not a commodity to manipulate in order to measure our self-worth. By de-objectifying and creating reverence for our bodies, we become free to experience the wisdom, magnificence, and the magic of our bodies. So I love that my next guest picked this card, and not many people do, I have to say, is because this culture, we're not really taught to honor ourselves or our bodies. We're taught to honor our elders and God, and we don't even honor the earth that we live on. So it's a whole other thing to think about that we and everyone else are sacred beings and that our bodies are sacred, no matter what they look like, how they show up. So I'm really, really so grateful to have my next guest on, Joe Kelly, and I've known him for a really long time. And he has done beautiful work with what I know of him is the work with women and with daughters and dads and just really blew that open for me when he was talking about it and I heard him one time. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that and what he's doing and really anything that's about honoring. We can just go for it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, my name is Joe Kelly. I am a writer and editor by profession, a journalist, and I've written several books about fathering, including a book called Dads and Daughters, How to Inspire, Understand, and Support Your Daughter. And it's based on about 300 interviews I did with fathers and stepfathers and many daughters, too, about the power and the potential of father-daughter relationship. And You know, that's what I'm thinking about when I think about honoring, is honoring the relationships we have with each other and their power and their potential, and particularly honoring the father-daughter relationship because it's something that's not talked about very often in our culture. It is not. 
and often because there's a great deal of pain yeah. involved in those relationships between daughters and their stepfathers or fathers. And it's important to me to honor that and recognize that there are probably women listening who have been abused or abandoned by their fathers. And I consider myself a member of the fellowship of fathers. And as a member of that fellowship, I feel like I bear some responsibility for the abandonment or abuse of daughters. And I think it's because we, as a fellowship of fathers, have not done enough to hold our brothers accountable and make clear that there is absolutely zero excuse for abandoning or abusing our child. And we also have failed in not doing enough to acknowledge and support and encourage the majority of stepfathers and fathers who are there for their children, who are showing up, and we're too silent with one another. And that's a feeling too. And it's really important for me as a member of the Fellowship of Fathers to say, if it was your experience that you were abused or abandoned by a male loved one, absolutely no excuse for that. None. And that part of our work as fathers and really at the core of my work is speaking loudly about and honoring all of the richness that there is in that relationship and giving men freedom to talk about it. Because when I interviewed these 300 guys, one of the questions I asked every one of them was, who do you talk to about your experience as a father? And more than half the men I asked that question of, more than half of them said, nobody. No one. And that I was the first person they'd ever spoken to about it. And these were mostly strangers to me. And I asked that question at the end of having my tape recorder running for like three hours. It's like they had a lot to say, (laughs) but it never occurred to them to say it. Yeah. And it never occurred to anybody else to ask. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The level of silence, cycles of silence that are reinforced by male acculturation in this society is really powerful. And so... I think women as mothers and daughters and sons, I think we get a little more support, if you will, than men do often, but there's still things you never talk about as a mother. You just never, no one wants to hear your stuff (laughs) and you don't want to tell the truth about it either. Right. And that's true. And that's human nature. It's kind of like human nature here. It's the parents here. This is what we're taught. How to be a parent is to zip it about your own stuff. You know, it's not a, a scorekeeping exercise. No. You know, it's, it's the idea but that it's something that's very real and there. And a great deal of the informing I've got, the learning I've gotten has been from girls and women talking about the relationship with their fathers and how they are influenced by their fathers. And what they learn. I love the story of an adult woman told me about they had a detached garage at their house. She was outside with her two brothers who had beat up old mattress that they put down next to the garage. And the boys were climbing up on the roof and jumping off onto the mattress. And she was there watching. Mm. And then they hear the father's car pull into the driveway and they all freeze. Father gets out of the car, looks at them all. And here's the first thing he says. He looks at his daughter and says, why aren't you up there? Yeah. <laughs> and now she climbs up there and then the three of them just start jumping off and he's sitting there watching them and cheering them on. And that was such a 
vivid moment it's in her so vivid. memory mm-hmm. because it was like, here's this man who represents what it means to be a man in this culture, represents what men value in this culture. And he's saying to her, get up there, get up, enjoy your body, use your body, take risks with your body, you know, seize yeah. the moment. Yeah. That's really important to me, you know, and that is such a countercultural message. It is, for sure. You're supposed to be sitting down with your petticoat and being nice and clean and don't risk. Yeah, and that how you look is more important than who you are. Yeah, exactly. And more important than what your body can do and does. And I think that's one of the leverage points that fathers have, that stepfathers have in the relationships with their daughters, is being a man in the culture who you know challenges those cultural notions within the family, and then also, ideally, challenging those cultural notions in the workplace and in other places out in the society where, you know, let's be honest, you and I are on a public forum saying the same thing. I'm going to be taken more seriously. Yep. Just because <laughs> I'm male. Because <laughs> of your gender. Yeah. And that's, that's a reality. And that's something we can leverage as men. And we should leverage on behalf of our daughters and our sons, because it benefits both our sons and our daughters, to challenge patriarchy and appearance-ism, ableism, homophobia, racism, you know, all, the, all of those. And I wonder, looking at you, you're obviously an elder. I'm an elder. I'm 71. And I notice that even there was a certain time when I was, and still am, known as somebody that talks about this issue and has written books about this issue. So there's a certain kind of hierarchy there. But as I get older, I'm less and less on the top because <laughs> I'm getting older. And I'm wondering if that happens to you as a man. Do you become not seen or not listened to as much as when you were a younger man? I don't know, but I suspect that I'm not disappeared in the same way. And my dear friend, Margot Main, who is a pioneering therapist, body image and eating disorders, who has written really an essential book about father-daughter relationships and the relationship to appearance and eating and stuff. And she's a little older than I am, and she talks very frankly about being disappeared even in the line at the uh, coffee shop. Oh, for sure. Stuff like that, you know, that sort of thing. So again, that very thing we're talking about right this second is something that I have to honor that reality and I have to honor my responsibility to challenge that reality and that my responsibility doesn't change because of how old I am. Exactly. Well, I love, I love that you said that. And I can remember a time watching a little kid come up to a counter and not get waited on a few times because they didn't see the little kid. And I would say he's next or she's next. But I do notice now people will say, I think she's next. And they're pointing at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, and it's about taking up space in it a lot of ways. It is you know? about taking up space. And sometimes it takes more oomph <laughs> yeah. to take up space. And some days we don't feel like it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, yeah. You know, we don't have to be perfect at this. So tell me, how did you come to this? 
thing that you wanted to learn more about and write a book about and think about and put out in the world about daughters and dads? Well, it's kind of it's a lot of serendipity, but the essential thing was that before our children were born, Nancy, my spouse, and I, and actually we decided this before we got married, that we wanted to have two children and we wanted to have a feminist marriage and we wanted to parent them equally, take equal responsibility for their parenting. And much to our surprise, we did have two children on the same day. <laughs> we weren't expecting that. <laughs> right. Um, and so we did things that were considered very strange at that time. We have identical twin daughters. They have different last names. One of them, her last name is Groover, which is my wife's last name. And one of them's last name is Kelly, which is my last name. Oh. And their middle names are the Opposite. other grandmother's maiden name. So oh. They have both families' name in their name. And they went to school. They're identical twins. And there were times where Mavis would come home and say, how come we don't have all the same last name? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I just want to be like everybody that, else. But, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, we did share that we arranged our work schedules that we were part-time on opposite schedules. So one of us was always there. So I got to be an equal parent, which was a life-changing experience for me. And then when our children were 11, Nancy got the inspiration to start a feminist girl-run magazine called New Moon Girls, uh, which is still in operation 30 years later. And I went to work behind the scenes on that using my journalism skills and ended up that gave me an outlet for starting to write some articles for parents about fathering girls. And then I got the bug to go out and interview these men and that turned into the book. Beautiful. And then have you wanted to see the opposite, even though you didn't have a son, but you were a son? Did you ever take that one on, that mantle, fathers and sons? Well, I'm talking about it all the time, really, in terms of, because, you know, talking about relationships between fathers and daughters, we're talking about gender acculturation, and that includes male acculturation and having to examine my own and, you know, ask other men about theirs. It turns out my daughters are now adults and we have three grandchildren. They're all male. Wow. So, you know. Yes. so it's interesting, but having the experience of being a male primary parent was, like I said, it changed my life and it also opened my eyes to a lot of challenges. Being at a playground and being the only male who's there and having other people say, oh, you're babysitting your children. I know. <laughs> like, no, I'm parenting them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, but again, it's like this is all part of how all of us are culturated and having female children demanded of me that I access different parts of myself than I had previously in my life, particularly more awareness of my inner life. And that was really a profound experience and ultimately led to the point where this is my work, talking about feminism and children and parenting and all that stuff. And at the same time, being really conscious of the fact that our influence on our children in our particular case, has much less to do with I'm a man, Nancy's a woman, than it does with the fact that their mother is Nancy Groover. (laughs) And their father is Joe Kelly, these two imperfect people with a lot of different experiences and strengths and weaknesses. And our gender is part of that. But that's what's impacting our children. And that's our, I believe, our responsibility and our 
joy, even though it's scarier as hell sometimes, is to bring our whole selves to our children and embrace the paradoxes of that. That I'm bringing my whole selves to my children and that ultimately I'm doing that in the service of completely letting go of them. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Wow. And if it, if we don't let go of it once they're grown, you know, try to hold on. It's not yeah, going to work. It's anyway. not going to work. And it's only going to make me miserable. And it's the paradox of our daughters are 42 years old. They're in stable relationships. They pay taxes. They work just <laughs> like responsible yeah. adults and parents. I can't prove that anything I did had any impact on who they are. I can't empirically prove that. They can't empirically prove it either. Because who knows, but right? I, I have faith that it did. I believe it. I trust that it did. And that's one of the wonderful paradoxes of parenting. It's like, I have to do it without proof. Well, you know, to me, what you did was shake up the paradigm. I mean, just the fact that you changed names, that you gave each kid a different last name and a middle name of a grandmother is phenomenal. It's not phenomenal in the indigenous cultures, but it is here. And it was not, honestly, has not really, my experience of it has not been extraordinary. It is the way it is. And that's great. Well, and even that you said, I'm not going to be a babysitter. I'm going to be a parent. That shakes up that paradigm as well, especially to girls. And to me, it's phenomenal that you guys, the both of you and your wife, stepped into an arena that not that many people have stepped into. I wish they would, and I hope they do, but it hasn't been the way that things are. It's better now. I see dads with their daughters and their sons. Yeah, there's much more opportunity and support for that. Not yeah. really enough, but it, more than it was when my father became a parent and when I became a parent. Right, and... What I notice with my own child is that I feel like I was a better parent than my mother was. I had better training about that, I guess. And he is so much of a better parent than I ever was. And I think it will continue. I think his daughter and his son, if they have children, they'll be better parents. I mean, we keep getting better as we stay in this vein of what we're doing rather than the old one that I was raised with, which is a lot of abuse to children. Uh, you know, and that's doing that with intention and with acceptance of our imperfections. That's something to honor. I have a, a friend who's a child psychologist who has this phrase that he says repeatedly to parents. He says, honor your mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> when I honor and take responsibility for my mistakes, what I'm giving my children is ideally my children are in a relatively safe environment of the nuclear family, giving them very real experiences of dealing with imperfection, disappointment, hurt, forgiveness, amends. And that's such essential training for when they leave this little cocoon of the nuclear family, they will 
enter a world that is 100% guaranteed to be completely occupied by imperfect people. Yes. <laughs> Which is what makes us so interesting. <laughs> it does. You know, and that we have to honor their mistakes. Yeah. When a toddler is learning to walk, what do they do most often? You know what? They fall. <laughs> Our natural, this is one of the things that I think we've evolved into with instincts that are really helpful. You know, when a toddler falls, we don't bark at them. Oh, you failed. You did that wrong. Pick and them back they up. They fall and they hit their head on the corner of the coffee table and they scream. What do we do? We pick them up and we comfort them. And if they fall and they can't get up, we pick them up. We literally support them when they make mistakes. So we have to honor their mistakes because, you know, you think back in your own life. When I think back in my life, I think about, well, what are some of the most important life lessons I learned? And then I think about when did I learn them? I learned them when I f***ed up. Yes, exactly. So our mistakes are incredibly (laughs) valuable and we need to honor them. Yeah. When you're talking about this, I'm thinking about my parents never, ever were wrong. They wouldn't say they were wrong. We knew they were wrong (laughs) about this isn't the right way to do this, but this is how it was. And you had to just obey and go along. And I was raised in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was never wrong. And adults were never wrong. And all of the blah, blah, blah. So when it came, when I had my own son and a little while into his life, I think he was nine, I went into AA and I learned about the idea of making amends and had to do that. And the first amends I made was to him, a nine-year-old, of I see what I have been doing. I get it. And if I don't drink and I go to meetings and I stay steady on my program, I'll never do that again. And regardless, you don't ever have to take care of me again like that. And that was a huge thing for me. And I felt I was shaking and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose control of being a parent and he's never going to listen to me. But, you know, all the opposite happened and we became much closer. And I see that with he and his wife. They're good about saying, oh, I made a mistake. Sorry. Okay, let's do this. You know, I'm sorry. I wasn't listening to you. Say that again to me. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and that's the paradox. Admitting it, it makes things better. That's right. <laughs> you know? And the thing I love about the concept of amends, because I listened to him like, and thinking, oh, yeah, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I'm an alcoholic. I, you know, the thing is that somebody told me years ago about amends is the idea that think of the word mend, M-E-N-D, that's in there. And the way this person put it was, what happens when you mend something, mend a sock? Or, you know, I think about, you know, I have a scar in my shoulder from where the surgery was. Yes, yes, I, I see put my it. shoulder back together when I broke it. Like, you can still see the mending. It just doesn't go away. But I'm not looking at it anymore. And when I look at it, what I think is, oh, my God, what a wonderful thing <laughs> that they know how to fix broken shoulders. That's right, because thousands of years ago, you would have just been left on the side of the road. Right. <laughs> so this, you know, the amending is it doesn't make the thing that happened disappear. What it does is say, 
I have taken the effort and the work and you might have taken an effort and work in pain to participate in the mending with me. And then that's something we can be grateful for going forward and something we can honor that we've mended. Exactly. And it gives permission to the other person to also mess up and make amends. That's what it always does. It opens the stage for Duh, there I was again doing this stupid thing. <laughs> I'm really sorry. And let's get back on track. Yeah. And it changes our perspective on things too. And, you know, we can look back at some of those things and laugh at the absurdity. And that's all part of being marvelously imperfect. But I also think that you and your wife, when you made this conscious decision to do things completely different than how both of you, I would assume, are brought up. I think of in that day and age, the dads did not babysit. My son, his dad never changed his diaper ever, not one time. And that was okay. That was the way things are. Yeah. And there's, you know, a variety of experiences. My sisters and I were the oldest kids of the generation of my family and all the other cousins were younger. So all three of us, myself included, had to do child care with these 14 other Catholic children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I got that experience. My father was physically affectionate with me. So that became a norm for me, hugging and kissing. You know, I didn't know until I was an adult that that was not something men generally oh, did in this culture. And Nancy had, you know, we both had traumatic experiences. And it's like when we decided to do this, we didn't really know what we were doing. It's so great. You know, it's kind of a leap. And so is Having a child and parenting is it's a leap. And again, that's something we can honor and practice gratitude for and accept. Yeah. And I think, again, if we remember to do that, to honor even the mistakes or we thought this was a good idea. So <laughs> you know, let's shift it a little bit so it'll work a little better. It just, again, proves, you know, that we're human and we make mistakes and we do a bunch of stuff right and then a bunch of stuff wrong and... I really feel like that about my specialty is eating disorders, obviously, but also that even though it is a very serious disease, having an eating disorder, because it's a killer, but to loathe your body for your whole life, whether you're a, a woman or a man, I mean, it's soul crushing, but I often try to inject humor in it so that we can step back and see what a silly thing we're doing. It's shown over and over again that diets don't work and still we think, though, would this new one will. That's so silly, but you know, (laughs) and I think that maybe your daughters and a little bit with my son and now with my grandkids, they can do that a little bit more. They can kind of chuckle at themselves if they get in a pickle, if you will. (laughs) I don't know if they do. (laughs) (laughs) But they do, you know, we're fortunate we live near them. We get to be part of their, you know, of their lives and, you know, experience that joy. I see my daughters and my sons being anxious about their children, but I also see them being really playful with them. And we had a dear friend die recently who was really kind of an extra grandmother to our nine-year-old grandson. And he's grieving about it and had a like a day-long memorial service yesterday and he was there the whole time he was present and he was 
Sweet. Feeling his feelings and getting a lot of support, not just from us, but from some of the dozens of other people over there. And it's like at the end of the day, I was just thinking, this is such a lovely, loving experience to be together with all these people celebrating this life of this incredibly generous, cantankerous, <laughs> annoying, <laughs> pioneering woman. And that's life. That is. And isn't that wonderful? So great. Yeah. So, Joe. Would you please read the bottom of this card if you have it there? Okay. Today, I will experiment with looking at my body and other people's body as if they are, as I believe they are, sacred and full of wisdom. I will stop treating my body like an object and start respecting, honoring my body's wisdom, beauty, and magic. Throughout the day, I will practice honoring my body's wisdom. Yeah. Beautiful. So, you know, my business partner, Carol Normandy, when I read things like this, I always think that she's the one who wrote them. And then she will read things like this and she'll think I'm the one who wrote them, which is the good thing about having two of us. We never know who wrote what. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I wonder if you will tell me how people can get a hold of you and what the name of your book is, and it sounded to me like you have a group going. Well, I've written two books about fathers and daughters. One is called Dads and Daughters. Uh-huh. And then the other one is called The Dads and Daughters Togetherness Guide. Uh-huh. Okay. Activities to help build a great relationship. I've also co-written six books about eating disorders, like The Body Myth, Adult Women, and The Pursuit of Perfection, which I wrote with Margot Maine. And Carolyn Costin and I wrote a book called Yoga and Eating Disorders. So great. So a variety of things like that. And and as I said, my wife's magazine, New Moon Girls, newmoongirls.com, is a wonderful, wonderful resource. And my email address is J-O-E-K-E-L-L-Y, the numeral three, at Gmail. I don't have a website. Oh, you don't have a website? No. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> there you go. That's just really creative of you, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, I joke that I'm a 20th century guy. Yes, I understand. I understand. Well, thank you so much for having me thank on. Thank you Appreciate so it. much. And I'm so grateful for you to have you on today. Just really beautiful what we talked about. And it will stay with me for a long time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.